Sometimes hours are severely limited on that life side of the work-life balance. When things get busy, we might not be able to afford spending those scant few hours on distractions, but we don't always let that stop us. Put that controller down for a minute because today, we're going to talk about what it means to have a gaming addiction, or at least preoccupation. Maintaining a work-life balance keeps getting harder, but it doesn't have to. This is The Big Balance, a podcast for anyone struggling to stay ahead or even just keep up with work, life, and everything in between. Join us each week for practical advice you can actually apply to get a little sanity back in your day. Oh, real quick before we jump into anything, this isn't probably don't keep this in, but uh, now I want to keep it in. Well, today the uh, band Twitter had a fun little exchange with Best Western. What? Yeah, no, yeah, Best Western. You know the hotel chain? Yeah, our new album that's coming out. Uh, it's called Cheap Hotel. So we we made <laughs> clearly a, they a, want to sponsor you. Well, that was what the joke was. It was what do you think the odds are that. Best Western, Days In, or Holiday In will want to sponsor our album. To which be- did you add them in the tweet? Oh, of course. To which nice. to which Best Western responded, "You calling us cheap?" <laughs> so you're actually using social media for marketing type things with your band. Why don't you bring that to us? We need that. well, because basically it's shit posting is what it is. I can't. I can't get some media attention. I can't s post on our page when we're trying to present ourselves as quasi professionals. Or well, oh, you, you could actually stand to make money selling an album or two. You're not making anything here. Why? Why wouldn't you? It's a different type of brand. I guess <laughs> we're a very serious brand here. Well, yeah, yeah. Maybe when we started, we go off the rails pretty quickly. So. All right. Anyway, to get back to today's topic. So have fun with that. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. Nicotine is addictive. Shocker there, right? Well, here's another one. Drugs and alcohol can be addictive, too. I'm surprising nobody with these statements. We all know this, and we know why. These substances train our brains to want more of them by giving us dopamine hits to keep us happy. When you stop and think about it, video games deliver a good dopamine hit too, and they're often designed to hold us captive and keep us playing. As with any hobby, gaming can be relaxing and healthy, but if we play to the exclusion of everything else, or put important aspects of our lives on hold to do it, well, that's where we could run into some trouble. So allow me to be the old man yelling at kids these days as I run through a few problems I have with the way some games are designed. So video game addiction, not officially a disorder according to at least the American Psychiatric Association. They have the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And it's not in there, but it's listed as a condition for further study. So basically, there wasn't enough evidence when the current version, DSM-5, was published in 2013. There's not really a set definition of how addicted are you for this to be an issue. 
But different sources I read said maybe one to ten percent of gamers, or three to four percent, or at the higher end, six to fifteen percent, which sounds crazy to me. Uh, of gamers, that sounds have, a bit extreme, right? Yeah, that's that's a lot. Fifteen I mean, percent—that's that's a pretty high number for an addiction. There's yeah. and there's how many casual gamers out there? I guess I would fall under the category as a gamer because I'm somebody who's played a video game within the last year, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, from what I've seen, and I like this as a metric. The average amount of time people spend gaming is, and this has actually jumped up during the lockdown, it was 13 hours pre-quarantine and about 15 hours during lockdown. So we, we bumped it up because we were lonely. And the, A week? A week, yeah. And the average per session is about an hour and a half. So if you're spending an hour or two playing video games to the tune of once a day, I would consider that a pretty average based on some of the stats I've seen. So a video game addict, according to some of these sources, is spending 10 hours a day or more. I don't think there's 15% of people, maybe I'm wrong, 15% of people playing video games 10 hours a day or more. Because when you put it into perspective, billions of people are playing video games around the globe, right? It's not, it's not a small thing anymore. And I guess it's, from our perspective, our view is going to be very limited because culturally, I think what we view gamers as is going to be a little bit different. To your point, there's different definitions. I would have to revoke my gamer card based on that definition because I don't think I'm playing 10 to 13 hours a week or whatever it was that you said. But there's other role-playing games and things like that that are huge and popular in like South Korea to where those people who are playing those games might be dedicating several hours a week into that game because that's what that game requires yeah I'm not playing those types of games no no you can get sucked up in a lot of these a lot of these games require an amount of dedication that's part of what we're talking about today that is not necessarily conducive to uh, other things in life so yeah that's that's why we're here today now, that's on the far end of the spectrum, I would say. But to be very clear, I don't think we even need to go half that far to start seeing negative impacts, right? So if we're talking about gaming on the lighter end, spending an hour, maybe an hour and a half playing video games a day, is that bad? Are you spending too much time? Well, I would say it really depends on what you have going on. And you know, if you're filling your free time with gaming or if you're choosing gaming over something else, those are two very different circumstances. And I want to put this in perspective. Let's talk about my weekend, my any given weekend, Brian's weekend versus our occasional guest host, Andy's, because I think he and I have a pretty good separation. Actually, you too. You're kind of on the on the one end. I'm in the middle and Andy's on the far end where you have no kids. I have one kid, a toddler, and Andy has a couple who are a bit older and are both really engaged in extracurriculars. So actually, John, let me start with you then, actually. Saturday rolls around, right? You wake up. I don't know, 8 o'clock? What time are you waking up on a Saturday? Yeah, 8 sounds about right. I don't think we sleep past 8, 30, 9 o'clock anymore on a Saturday. Yeah. We're not like 22-year-olds who sleep until like, you know, 12, 30, 1 o'clock every single day. Yeah. You know? Now, I'm going to actually back up the calendar a little bit to let's say like a month before you moved into your house because you have probably a little bit more responsibility now, but when you were in your apartment... I'm glad you... I'm glad you say that because if you were about to ask what a Saturday looks like uh, now, I was about to yes, <laughs> it's going to be like oh, make sure because my my dad's been coming over and helping with painting and things like that, so it's been 
keeping him in line, making sure that we're working on that. I've done some, you know, handy things around the house myself. Welcome to homeownership. Good point. Pal. Make yep. Good point. Making the distinction <laughs> because yes, it it would have looked very different the month before I moved out. So continue. Yeah. Rewind the clock to a carefree John a month before you moved. You're in your apartment, 8 a.m. on a Saturday. Life is good. Woke up, sunshine streaming through the window. What's your day? If we're talking Saturday, because the way we kind of spaced out our weekends, I basically responsible for making breakfast just because we want to do that. That's a fun exercise we do. So then we clean the dishes right after that. And I say we, it's usually Rachel kind of taking on that responsibility. <laughs> just because, hey, I cooked. But no, that's not a good excuse. After that, more often than not, it was meeting up with a friend hanging around the house. Maybe me and Rachel went out to lunch or something like that. But really, responsibilities were non-existent on the weekend outside of sure. just making sure we took the dog out. Nice, carefree Saturday. Always good. Yep. And me in the middle, I'm not far different from that. My daughter gets up around 7.30. She wants attention from then till about 1, but it's pretty unstructured. So we'll play dinosaurs or she'll pretend cook me a meal. And we just chill around the house doing things like that. And then at 1 o'clock is nap time. So if I have things suit around the house or if I want to record an episode with you or edit an episode because God knows that takes about five times as long compared to recording, I have time to do that. And then even after that, she's in bed again by 8. Early evening on, I'm, I'm pretty open. So I have not as much availability as before I had a house, before I had a kid, but I have, I would say, a significant amount. Now let's look at Andy. Andy has, like I said, two older kids. And when Saturday rolls around, he's in swim meets, he's in dance practices, and those are all-day things. Like, swim meets? I did not realize. He's there for hours. Oh, I, I can't even imagine. Those things take forever, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of those things. When my kid is old enough to do extracurriculars, I want to do a team sport just because, look, if you're if you're playing volleyball, it's everybody on the court at once, right? Versus if you're swimming, it's, okay, your kid's in the pool for five minutes, not even five minutes, like a couple minutes, and then you're sitting for a few hours, everybody else's kid's in the pool, and it's like, man... I know you're. I, know. I know you're anticipating your daughter to be tall because you said volleyball. I know we've talked about this, but you're like, yo, you're assuming she's, she's in the be, 99th percentile for height. You're assuming she's going to be a volleyball player because she's tall. I hear you. I, I do. I, I she's a, a hunting geese with a rake type person. She's going to be tall. Basketball, volleyball, something. I don't know. We'll find out. But uh, so yeah, so Andy rolls around on a Saturday. He's in swim meets all day, and he's otherwise engaged in pretty structured activities. If he took the time to go and, and play a game, I would say more often than not, it's probably because he's neglecting some other duty around his house. He has more house upkeep than I do. So that hour and a half on a Saturday, it's a lot more precious to him than it is to me or you. So that that's the difference for me. It's not how many hours you're playing a game. It's what you could be doing or should be doing with that time otherwise. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I agree. If you're If you're propositioning it as a choice to where you can only do one or the other then, yeah, clearly, if you're making the wrong choice and dedicating your time to video games over other responsibilities, then, yeah, it's problematic. But people fall on all different areas of that spectrum that you just described. I think it's tough to take a just general stance on, on video games, good or bad, from my perspective. I know I've talked about in the past how I view video games, uh, in some instances, like an extended movie that I'm playing. It's like art. 
that's how I view it. So again, not to be a dissenter or anything like that, but it's hard for me to take just uh, you know hard stance on video games as a whole. No, I like that take. I'm I'm a big fan of that take. I forget. I wish I remember the episode we talked about. Do you remember the episode we talked about that? I'd love to throw that in there. And I should have done um, that. But yeah, we talked about that previously, and I like the point you made then because it, it does make sense. I think a lot of video games from when I was growing up, I'm, I'm a little older than you, not that much, but when I was playing video games, it wasn't the narrative that it is today, and it wasn't the cinematic experience it is today. I totally see where you were coming from when you brought that up. Now, I had trouble crystallizing what I disagreed with at the time. And it kind of stuck with me through the weeks. And that's really what led up to wanting to do this topic today is I've kind of crystallized in my mind a few of the elements that I think really set the stage for a game moving from a positive experience to being more of a negative. So let's talk about what I see as five things that could be a problem that you might want to watch for. Uh, Are we starting from five, working our way up to number one? Oh, that's a good idea. I wonder if I could order these. Maybe maybe we talk about that. Maybe we come up with the order. I'm going to go unordered, and maybe you tell me what you think is the best of the worst. I wanted wanted to do something like... Number five. Totally do that. Yeah, edit that in afterwards. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do, yeah, we'll edit it in afterwards. So I'll just give you a bunch of takes of me just going, number five, yeah. number four. Get that Batman voice again. <laughs> Other Brian is going to join us oh, for the God, countdown. That's so painful. I, I ugh, God, my throat. I still remember that feeling. Anyway, so unordered, here's my list. The first one, maybe the best, maybe the worst, who knows. You're competing with other people. You're not just competing against the game. And that almost sounds like it's an obvious thing because I think online gaming is the norm today, right? It's basically ubiquitous. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, there's a large element of competition when you're playing with other people online, and that's where the money is for professional gamers now. Outside of what used to be just high score on the arcade console, you're playing against other people now, and... Yes, you're right. That is ubiquitous, and and I. It's hard for me to say that that's just the one, or not the one, but it's a sign that a game can be problematic. Yeah. But I'm curious to hear more about your list. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, just to to kind of mention, I was born in 1984. You know who I competed with? Bowser. All right. I was <laughs> running across a bridge trying to bust it with an axe so he gets dumped in lava. That was who I was competing against. Right. It's it's kind of one sided and a much simpler relationship with a video game. To help listeners understand the age gap, Brian and I are about seven years apart, so... (laughs) I feel like video games is one of those times where that gap seems much wider. Well, the way you describe it, yeah, because you grew up with the NES and things like that, which I was familiar with. I played because I had an older sister who's around your age, but I also grew up with the PlayStation 1, the PlayStation 2, Xbox 360. I just think that your generation, unless they kept up with it, somebody like you is a good example. You don't have a modern console that you play regularly, do I you? don't. I bought a Wii. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't making my case for me. I don't know, when did the Wii come out? I don't know. That That's the, the newest system uh, I have. 2006, I think. Oh, Jesus Christ. 16 years ago. Yeah, I got a Wii because it's fun to play video games as an adult while drinking with other adults on the Wii. That's that's the reason I got it. That is a great game for that purpose. Yes, absolutely, yeah. 100%. But going on, next on my list, and this is related to that online aspect, games that allow for a toxic player base to flourish. 
if a game either can't or chooses not to regulate toxic behavior. And we can define that in a number of ways. I'm sure different people consider different things toxic. For my definition, I'm just going to say high level, anybody who's intentionally bringing negativity to a game, choosing to do that either through verbal abuse, I think is pretty obvious and, and pervasive of an issue. Yeah, no, and I think that's what people think in the traditional toxic uh, gamer base. Say, like, you're raging, or people who said things like squeakers and things like that. Which the hell's a squeaker? I, oh, somebody who was, like, really young. Uh, they would talk on the microphone, and they would have a high-pitched voice because you know, <laughs> was a prepubescent boy, and people would be like, oh, we got a squeaker, you know, things like <laughs> that. So, And it's a, kind of a chicken-or-the-egg situation because is it the game that fosters that type of environment or is it the people who are attracted to that game? Whatever it is, how, how, it, how it comes about. Uh, whether the game's encouraging it or not, it's it's going to be a stigma that's attached to that specific game for sure if, if they're known for that. That's a good question, but my response is I don't necessarily care because it's the end result that a dev allows it, a, a game developer allows it to flourish because at a psychological level, there's value in them of having at least a slightly toxic player base, which is to say... John's playing a game and he loses. Other guys are good sport about it. John's like, oh, I lost. I'll come back later and win. But if John's playing and all of a sudden loses, gets some verbal abuse, gets uh, digitally teabagged by the other player, now you're hangry. You're like, I'm going to kick this guy's ass now. I'm going to come back and you're going to keep playing until you win and show him who's who, right? So there's a value there for the dev. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I I, I couldn't even tell you if that still happens, like these examples of like, you know, good example, teabagging. I'm old. I, I don't know how else to tell you I'm old and out of touch with video games. No, and I'm not disagreeing with you here because like I'm definitely somebody who doesn't play in that competitive angle anymore. I don't I don't play online. I don't play first person shooters. Any games that I'm playing are, are very casual. They're not meant to be super competitive. And even the competitive ones that I'm playing, like a sports simulation game or something like that. I'm playing against myself. I'm not playing against other people. I don't go online and try to compete. So I can't give maybe the gamer's voice here, but as the younger member of the pod, I guess I kind of have to. <laughs> but it yeah, is you're the junior. You're the junior guy. You're the youngster of the crowd. The, yep, exactly. Now, those two, I think, are in and of themselves, not necessarily giant red flags alone. They're part of the problem. The next one, I think, is in and of itself a major contributing factor for me. And that's how you compete, how you win. A game might be straight up skill-based or you might have a quote-unquote level that's a major factor in how competitive you are. And if that doesn't make sense, I'll give another old school example. Back when I was a kid, you go to the arcade, you play Street Fighter. Plenty of different fighters to choose from, but if two players chose the same fighter... They were on completely equal terms in terms of the hard parameters of the game. The only difference and what ultimately determines the winner is their skill level. And I think another example that you can give that might be a little bit more modern, and again, this is still dated, but I think there's still a very active community, but um, Smash Brothers, Super sure. Smash Brothers on, on the GameCube, Wii, you know, any Nintendo thing. That is a good example of... You can choose a different character, and certain characters have different advantages and weaknesses and things like that. Over the years, people have figured out which characters can kind of be overpowered when you use them a certain way. But 
that's kind of the result of somebody who has played and put in long hours in that game. So I think that might be kind of more of a testament to their skill level than it is the level system that or the rank system that I think you're describing a little bit too. Yeah, so yeah, so so that's what I would describe as a skill game and then a level game would be let's say you have uh, a fighting character, somebody else has the same one, but for every hour you spend playing, you level up your character and their damage, defense, speed, whatever parameter goes up by 1%. So now it's not skill, it's how much time have I poured in the game versus you is really the determining factor in who's going to win. And that, to me, is a major factor here. Well, there's a whole other angle to that now with microtransactions as part of the games as well. Oh, yes. You can pay to expedite that process. So instead of having to put in those 100 hours, I just pay $100 to unlock all of the exact same perks. So the game developers incentivize people to either hustle and put in all of those hours or just give me the money to make you better than that person who does it. I'm glad you brought that up because that's good foreshadowing because I want to talk about exactly that after we take a break. We're not there yet, but good foreshadowing. The next one's relatively simple. Again, it aligns with this whole idea of levels equal victory. There's not necessarily an end to a game. So if enough players hit any kind of artificial cap, the developers can just raise that ceiling once in a while when enough players approach it so that everybody's always constantly fighting to grind more and more to stay competitive. And the last one for me is play centered on community. So if a game is only solo, you can put it down and you're really only impacting yourself. If you're in a community-based game, falling behind impacts your team. And those teams work to really self-regulate play behavior of their members to ensure competitiveness, right? They're saying, if you fall behind, we'll kick you out. So now it's not even a game mechanic keeping you in play, it's each other. Well, even if you decide to play a game that requires teamwork or has other team members, if you for whatever reason, need to put the controller down and answer your phone or something like that, the game doesn't stop. If I can't pause the game, there's probably some cause for concern if I'm skirting responsibilities, I guess. Right. you know, Oh, I can't, I can't do that right now because I'm in the middle of the game and I can't pause it. Now, again, none of these mechanics are necessarily bad in and of themselves. But when you consider a game that has many or maybe all of them, I think that's where we start entering this realm of a negative hobby. And towards this end, I'm going to put out an example from my, again, very limited experience. This is unfortunately one of the newer games I can think of that actually fits this, but Clash of Clans. And John, have you played that or know of it? I, I'm pretty sure I'm familiar with it. Definitely have not played it. I'll admit it sounded like you were describing like earlier Call of Duty uh, releases. I think they all had those uh, trademarks as well. I'm going to summarize Clash of Clans. I played it for a hot minute. It wasn't really for me for some reasons I'm going to get into, but it's relatively simple in concept. You start off by farming some resources. You do that to either build an army or build up your base's defenses. Why build an army? It's so you can attack other players to steal their resources. Why build defenses? To stop other armies from stealing your resources. You pretty much always need more and more resources because that's how you grow a bigger, badder army to overcome stronger opponents or to build tougher defenses for essentially the same reason. 
And that's about it to the game. It's it's just that constant cycle. You need more resources to beat your opponents so you can get more resources to beat more opponents. Hey, that's that's baseball, baby. <laughs> you know, that's that's how it is. Yeah. Now, I've, I've never been deeply into this game. Years ago, I downloaded it, played it a little bit as a distraction. I wasn't a fan because of essentially every one of those red flags that I mentioned. It ticks that box, right? Step one, there's only player versus player competition. If you were to take out other people... The game's meaningless. You're building a base that's just going to sit there. Nobody's going to attack you and you can't attack anybody. There's nothing to do. So it's entirely online and human competitive only. In terms of toxicity, I can't speak to that very much myself because, again, I wasn't that deep into the game. But if anybody out there searches, is Clash of Clans toxic? Yields enough responses that it's pretty clear that most of the community does believe that to be the case. In terms of skill versus level, this is there's some skill, but ultimately, whoever has the bigger army, that's what's going to win. It's all about who's at a higher level, who's done more in-game grinding to determine who's going to win. There's a, a higher level, but again, even if most of the player base did approach that ceiling, the devs can just raise that ceiling as they see fit to make sure people keep grinding away. Finally, play center on community, Clash of Clans. It is a very community-based game, and that is a point of consternation. People feel bad letting their team down, letting their clan down. So it really ticks every one of those boxes that I would see being a kind of a toxic experience, and for that reason, it just wasn't for me. You know what's a game you might enjoy that is centered around just kind of building for the sake of building? Minecraft. Have you played Minecraft at all? Yeah, and it's like, uh, I'm going to dumb this down to the point of maybe being insulting to anybody listening. It's basically digital Legos, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I don't think that's a bad way to put it. There's no end to the game. You can keep playing for infinity without it ever really coming to an end. You just keep building upon what you build. And that's kind of like a simulation style game, which is kind of more what I'm into lately. I kind of like that casual aspect. It's funny that you mentioned that. Maybe there's a a yin to that yang. I like it as an example because I know a lot of people do get very passionate about that game and they do get... I guess you could say addicted or at least preoccupied with it, but it's based on the merit of enjoying the play style. It's not because you feel like you have to in order to remain competitive or you have to for this or that reason. It's because I enjoy it and I want to do it. And that's a whole other ball game for me. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. So that is what I would consider to be the kind of game that's designed to keep you playing, if not keep you addicted, again, keep you at least maybe a bit too preoccupied with it. So let's take a break. When we come back, let's talk about what this really means to us and how should we be thinking about these games? Are we playing too much? What can we do about it? Oh, sorry, Brian. Hold on. Let me pause this real quick. I'm just one second. Do you want to lead? Do you want to lead in? Yeah. No. Okay. Cool. Yeah. No. I'm ready now. Sorry, I had to pause the game. Oh, sh- <laughs> how, how corny was that? You love it? I thought you were like, let's go pause the recording. I'm like, oh, there you go. No, John's done with this game. Let's get going again. All right. So, 
how big of an issue is video game addiction? I don't know. I'll let the eggheads in Washington figure that out. But what I will say is there's plenty of opportunity to play games where there's other things maybe we should be doing. And if we're talking about work-life balance, kind of going back to the whole topic of this podcast, we're trying to maximize the time we have for important things in our lives. A lot of times we're talking about, are we spending too much time working? But equally important is, are we spending too much time on things that aren't necessarily important to our lives, furthering ourselves, taking care of our families? And different people have tried different things. I think in the U.S., somewhere, someone's always trying to get video games banned for some reason, right? If it's either uh, the unfortunately high number of school shootings we have, almost always kick off a anti-violent video game campaign. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I wasn't even going to comment on that. Yep, yeah, no, t- a touchy topic, and I don't want to dwell there either. Yep, <laughs> um, yep. yep, nope, go yeah, ahead. And then you have places like China that a while ago, I think like four or five years ago, put some pretty strict restrictions on underage gaming. And even a year or two ago, they kind of doubled down on it to the point where... <laughs> I think I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure gaming is banned or at least heavily restricted during the weekdays and severely limited playtime on the weekends as well. Dude, I was probably like eight years old when I played my first like Grand Theft Auto type game. I forget whatever year that first one came out. I played it. So maybe maybe closer to 10, but still to the point of underage gaming. What what do you, what do you mean there? Is it like a game that's meant for mature audiences being played by people who are seventeen and older or something like that? I'm pretty sure it's any yeah anybody under the age well whatever China considers to be underage. If it was the U.S., it would be eighteen. And I would have to imagine it's pretty much would have to be restricted to online play because how else would the the government or the regulators know that you're playing a game? If you just have an old classic gotcha. NES, okay. who would know, right? Yeah, gotcha, because I'm thinking, uh, again, maybe showing my age a little bit, but I'm like, man, I was like 12 years old playing Grand Theft Auto and things like that, and yeah, no, that would be well underage by by legal standards, so yeah, okay, that makes more sense to me. In in the Grand Theft Auto scheme, as another example of me, Grand Theft Auto 3, I don't know when it came out, but I know that it was a big thing in my dorm room. In college, my freshman year. So that could help me figure out how old I was when I played that. So freshman year for you. Like 2003. What what year was it? Okay, that sounds about right. So yeah, no, I was closer to like like 11, 12 years old at that point. So 10, yeah. So it was not eight, but the point still rings true. I was very young playing Grand Theft Auto. Well, my roommate's friend, he would skip classes to play that game. It was insane to me. I crazy, but yeah, I, I think he he maybe like failed at least a couple of classes because he could not stop playing this game. Dude, a college guy and a video game like that when it first comes out, I could see how it could be done. I skipped class for dumber reasons yeah. than that. So, Jeff, I hope you're doing good these days. <laughs> Don't be Don't like, be like Jeff. Jeff. Uh, but let's talk about non-insane solutions. Right? I'm gonna I'm gonna say China going that far into restrictions a little bit insane. Let's talk about some more down to earth ways people think are good ways to address video game addiction or at least video game preoccupation. And I'm gonna start with what I don't like about what I've read. The first is a lot of places use strategies that are really kind of akin to quitting other addictions, like quitting smoking, quitting drinking, things like that. So either, hey, try to reduce it, try to reduce your habit as much as you can, or try to quit cold turkey. Again, if you're quitting smoking, those are great things to do. Um, I, I can say that as somebody who did, but I don't think they really work here. 
reducing hours. Let's start there, right? Reducing hours you spend video gaming. Video gaming. That makes me sound old too, doesn't it? Reducing. <laughs> <laughs> you're you playing your video, video gaming on your television I'm not set video games on the, oh, yeah. <laughs> Reducing the number of hours. Oh, yeah, let's go back to uh, what I view as those red flags. If you're playing one of these games that is about the grind, is about you have to keep up or you fall behind, reducing your hours to the person who's really into that game doesn't make sense because you can't be competitive. It's either all or nothing. So hour reduction... I don't think is always appropriate there. Uh, in terms of cold turkey, yeah, if I'm smoking and I quit cold turkey, the only thing that's happening to me is I don't have that nicotine in my life anymore, right? And you can argue, oh, I don't get smoke breaks and smoke breaks are social. No, you can still go out and hang out with people who are taking a smoke break. Quitting cold turkey for a cigarette is just getting rid of the cigarette. That's not that way with video games. If you're playing a video game with a social aspect, that social element might be a large part of why you play. So to give up the game means giving up that social element as well. So you can't necessarily extricate all the elements of a game and say getting rid of the gameplay itself is a solution. Yeah, that's I, I didn't really consider it from that angle. And, and now I'm kind of sitting here to myself going, well, what would I do if you know, I'm playing a game that requires a lot of hours and grinding, but I can't do that anymore. I, I kind of just have to stop. Yeah. And, 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 and if I don't want to stop, then that's a whole other conversation. But I would like to imagine most people, when you taking on more responsibility, especially because you bought a house or you're seeing a new significant other or something like that, you want to put in those hours and you want to dedicate things that require time as opposed to spending your time playing video games. So I don't know if you have that addiction there. Shoot, I don't know what to tell you. Ugh, wish I had the answers. Well, no, I think you're going in the right direction. I think what you're talking about with having a house, having relationships with others, accomplishing this or that, talking about nicotine, one of the big elements of games is brain chemical release, dopamine. Dopamine is a chemical that releases when you accomplish something. It's part of your brain and physiology to say, hey, when you get something done, we should reward you because getting things done is how you survive, find food, not die. So dopamine is built into us, is hardwired to be there when we accomplish something. And the problem with video games is it gives this false sense of accomplishment in a relatively easy fashion, right? It's not hard to accomplish things in video games that are designed for you to accomplish things, right? So I, I think that's part of it is finding other things to do with your time that give you that sense of accomplishment. It's not going to be as easy, but it's going to be something long lasting that could be a benefit to you and still give you that dopamine hit that a video game would. So I think that is definitely part of it. Yeah, and you know, it, 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 I guess I'm torn because I, I could see if somebody really wants to dedicate a lot of time and energy and hours to a video game. That's their prerogative. Who am I to tell somebody how to live? But to your point, Brian, if you're doing it because of that dopamine release, you can find that in other areas, not in video games. So if you if you recognize that you have a problem, then maybe you probably should step away from video games. And let's talk about the type of video games specifically we should step away from. Again, going back to my list of those five flags and something you had mentioned before the break, the whole idea of monetization, I think something that really rings true here, phrase, I, I don't know where this phrase originally came from, but if something's free, you're the product. 
it's kind of the same thing here. We have all of these games that they're either low cost to buy or free to play, but they're filled with these microtransactions or things you can buy to make your experience better or to the point you made earlier, get ahead of other people who are just grinding to get to a certain level. When your monetization as a video game is based on those microtransactions, you have a vested interest in making an addictive video game. If my game is you pay once when you buy it and that's it, yeah, I want you to play. I want you to enjoy it, but I've already made my money. I'm not making more money later. But if I'm basing entirely on microtransactions, I need you to not stop because the minute you stop is the minute I stop getting money. That is a big flag to me. Those are the games that I would say you'd want to avoid. Again, look at those those five different flags. The more of those boxes a game checks, the more likely I would say steer clear of it because it's probably going to be a time sink. It's probably going to be something that preoccupies you, maybe gets you addicted. Back in the day, even like old school arcade consoles, the idea was to get that replay value because we want you to keep feeding our coins into the game because we want to make money on the console. There's always been that monetization factor associated with it. But at a certain point, you would be able to walk away, whether that means getting the high score, running out of quarters, or just deciding you're you're done with it. And, and I think maybe that's just a comment on the state of games themselves right now because to your point, it almost feels a little bit more sinister. Now, the last one for me kind of ties all of these things we're talking about together. One last reason I see a lot of people, or I would imagine a lot of people are playing video games, and that is as an escape. Life is rough. We are all working a lot of hours. Maybe we don't always get our way in life. Maybe our job is particularly tough one day. Maybe we fail at something that we really had our, our mindset on achieving. Life is not always clean. Life is not always easy. It's not on rails not always going to win. And that can be scary. That can be difficult. If we're playing a game, more often than not, it's going to be on rails. The game is going to entice us with small victories that lead to maybe harder, but in the grand scheme of things, not a difficult win, right? Had a hard day at work. Boss yelled at me. Guy was a jerk on the road coming home. And my house is a mess. My life is frustrating to me. But I can sit down at that console, go rescue the princess, and hey, I achieved something. But if we're using games as an escape, that's not really solving our problems. It's just avoiding them for that hour and a half that we're playing on average. They're still going to be there when we come back. So I would say a really important thing is if you're playing a game as an escape, let's think about what are we trying to escape from? And can we take that hour and a half and apply it to fixing it because over the long term, that's what's going to make us happy in life. That's what's going to lead to a good, fulfilling life is figuring out what we need to do and setting aside time to do exactly that. So this is probably one area where I I do disagree a little bit because what's the difference between somebody playing a couple video games, a couple hours, than somebody who follows like a sports team? So if I watch the Sixers, every single time they play, they're usually like about a three-hour game. And what am I getting out of it other than just kind of a sense of community? And isn't that what some people are doing with the video games that you described? So the escape factor of anything is appealing for all of us. And I think that we need to have that type of escape. It doesn't need to necessarily be difficult times in our life like you described. It could just be, I just need to step away from being me for a couple, you know, a couple hours. 
maybe the escape factor can be beneficial in moderation, I guess, being smart about how often you're escaping and what you're trying to escape from. Because if it's something that's going to follow you day in and day out, then maybe you should figure that out. But just a casual escape, I don't think is super harmful. No, I, I totally agree with you. And I think sports is one example. Social media is another example, right? You can engage in social media to a point where it's just some off time stuff you're doing, or you can do too much of it. But I think for me, the difference that I would point out here, and it's not how many hours you do it, it's what else could you be doing with that time? If you're engaging in an escape for recreation and for downtime, I think that's fine. If you're engaging in this escape to avoid a problem in your life, to set aside things that you should be focusing on, that's what makes it a problem to me. I'm comfortable with that distinction. I I, I can agree with that. So that's everything I got. Uh, hopefully, probably went pretty long on this episode. I don't know if we're going to get this down to 30 minutes at this point. <laughs> Pulling the curtain back, folks. Brian tried to tell me this was going to be a quick episode. I thought we were going to be like quick in and out with this. I was just going to complain about video games like an old person for like 20 minutes and be done. Old man yells at cloud. We've shared that meme a million times. So I'm going to keep sharing. Thanks for listening to the Big Balance Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and drop us a comment while you're there. Until next time. You have fun, Daddy.